Good morning. It's great to be here this morning. It is great to hear the teaching this morning. Um, certainly, certainly needed that. Um, great to sing praises to God this morning. Um, that song we sang, Because He Lives, I was thinking, it, with these the, the last several messages in Peter that we've went through, that song fits perfectly. We can do these things because he lives. If you want to know how to carry out all of what Peter has instructed us, the reason we can do it is because he lives. And it, it really is that simple. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. And if you think about that, apart from that, what is the purpose? But because he lives, we now have purpose. We, I mean, that's exactly what he did. He gave us purpose. He gives us life, and then he gives us purpose. And that's what this is really about in Peter, and going through persecution, and how we deal with persecution. There's a purpose for that. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I said, I think maybe two two months ago, when I was in chapter 2, one of the most, if not the most, difficult doctrine to carry out in the Bible is the doctrine of submission. And I talked on that day about submission to authorities, government, bosses, police, those kind of things. And then the next week, it maybe not didn't relate to us quite as much, but it was submission to it was slaves submitting to their owners, their masters. And this week it goes on. We have more submission to look at, and again it's difficult, but we can do it because he lives. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, God, for this day. I thank you for this gathering of your people, Lord, and how you've providentially put us all together in each other's lives and and I just praise you for that. I praise you for the common grace that we share, Lord. And I pray, God, that if there's some here who, who don't share that grace, that you would take this time and that you would take your word and that you would open their eyes. God, that they could believe. And those who, who do share it, God, I pray that you would encourage us, that you would lift us up, that you would, that you would strengthen us spiritually, um, to carry out exactly the instructions you've given us and so that above all we could glorify you. And I pray that as we go through this word that my message, that what I say would no doubt glorify you and that if it wouldn't, that you would stop me, that you would shut my mouth because that is all. That is, you're the only one worthy of the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. This is an interesting, this is an interesting thing, and it has been used in a lot of ways that I believe are wrong. But he says likewise. 
likewise. What is he talking about there? He's referring back to what we've been going through the last several months in the second chapter of people or of Peter. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. Just like you're sub, to be submissive to the government, he says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Just like we are supposed to be submissive to the authority that's given to us of the government, wives likewise, just like that, submit to your husbands. And then in 18, he says, Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, and not the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. Likewise, wives submit to their husbands. But just like he says submit, remember the reason that Peter lays out very clearly why we are to submit to those authorities over us, why we are to submit to our masters, why we are to submit to the, to the government or to the police or to anybody who has that authority. And it's in verse 15 in chapter 2, for this is the will of God. That's one reason. That's enough. But he goes on to explain why. That by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. I think the majority of who he's talking to here when he's talking to wives in chapter 3 are wives with unbelieving husbands. That's the context that we get here. But it doesn't matter. It's still the same instruction to, what, to the wives, whether their husbands are believers or non-believers. But I really think that's who he's addressing um, in the majority here. It's, it's to demonstrate the love of Christ. Submissiveness in a place where you are supposed to submit, according to Scripture, is going to demonstrate the love of Christ. We talked about it with a boss. We talked about it with the authorities. And now we're going to look at it with wives. Because he goes on. He says that even if some do not obey the word, that would be talking about a non, an unbeliever, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. That's, that's the terminology you would use to, to win a sinner, right? They may be one. That's an evangelistic term. That's a missionary term. We want to win souls. They may be one. How? Not because of your words all the time. Now, we know. Okay, listen. I want to make this clear. Faith comes through hearing and hearing by the word of God. The gospel must be preached. But so many times... It has to come from somebody other than you. I learned this with my own family. There's times when God is going to use your behavior and somebody else preaching. We may not like that. We may be the one that's always wanting to preach. But our, if our behavior is not lining up with that, your preaching is absolutely worthless. The gospel is powerful by itself, yes, but when you're the one that's preaching it and you're not, let, you're not falling in line with what Peter's saying here, it's not going to be heard. It just won't. So if, you're a, if, if you want to know how to get the attention of your unbelieving husband, 
You want to know how to get his attention towards the gospel, to soften his heart toward things of God? Submit. That's what Peter says. Submit to him. Have we ever seen this done wrong? <laughs> yeah, we have. There may be men sitting in here who are saved as a result of this being done right. And, and there's, there's so many times, I, I heard Paul Washer talk about the, he, he told a story about a woman trying to get her husband to come to Christ, and she was always in the way. She was always in the way, and it, it, he's just like, get out of the way. Get out of the way. And when she finally submits it to him, because by submitting to God, she has to submit to her husband, and the nagging stops and now it's just a love that the husband can see through the wife that's what peter's talking about here he's not talking about blind submission we talked about that earlier too you don't blindly submit you don't have to go just like a all of a sudden you're a servant but it's in a godly submission and an honoring of the husband the husbands know this in here men know this when your wife honors you and submits to you, it does something to you, right? You like that. It's good. And and it's good for a reason, because that's God's order. That's the order he has laid out there. And so there's so many times it's almost like a nagging or a belittling, because you don't go to church. You won't lead this home spiritually, there's been so many times I've seen a woman say that they, they want their husband to lead spiritually, but then when he does, that's not the way they want to lead, so they don't follow. That's not what Peter's talking about here. He says, submit. He says, submit. And then verse 2, he goes on, he says, When they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear, This, this way many men, when this happens, the man may not be going to church and hearing God's word preached. But when they see it lived out, if they see a change in their wives, they'll think there must be something to this religion that she has claimed. And, and, and this is something that needs to be in the church today because there's so many women going to church without their husbands. That happens a lot in our culture. In Ada today, there is a whole lot of women sitting in church and there's a whole lot of men sitting at home. And that is the problem with our culture. That is the problem with our church culture because the men are not standing up to lead their household. Men, that you, while we're on this subject, stand up and be a leader. Lead your, lead your wives. Lead your children. That's our job. In the home. In the home first. But if your husband is an unbeliever, or you suspect he's an unbeliever, even if there is a profession of faith, there's many who have professed but are not truly converted. If you suspect that, the way to win him is by changing your life. And isn't that the way to win any sinner? This really isn't any different than all of our conduct. He's just being specific towards the wives right here. But it's going to be the same towards you, Christian. 
Christian man, Christian woman, you want to know how to win a sinner to Christ? You want to know how you, how you convinced your parents or you convinced your brother or sister at home or your coworkers? Let them see a change in you. Let them go, wow, you really have changed. You're not like those other people who say they're Christians. You really are different. And when they see that, they'll go, there's something to this. There's something to this. I'd kind of like to know more. And then they're... they're their heart starts to soften and God begins to work and God can lead them. In verse 3, it says, Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. There was a lot of emphasis in those times on outward appearance. Not like today. No emphasis. Yeah, not much different than today, although it was probably looked a whole lot different. The styles, you know, it's funny. Outward appearance is really an interesting thing. You can, you can train, you, the culture will train your mind to like things. I mean, look at styles. It, it's ridiculous. I mean, it really is. With the clothes that, I mean, the clothes that you see that were cool in the 80s, they're not cool, right? It's like, what in the world? Your mind, the culture trains our mind. And what I think what Peter's saying here is, let's make our mind trained by God. Let's make our mind trained by the Holy Spirit. Let's let our mind be trained by the Scriptures. And not focus so much on the outward appearance. But the outward appearance was extremely important, especially in Rome. Uh, many of these women had probably used these very methods when he talks about, he's talking about the uh, arranging the hair, wearing the gold, jewelry, all those things. The women, in many cases, had used those methods to win their husbands, to catch them, to catch their eye, to catch their attention, right? Is that so much different today? Women are constantly using outward appearance to catch the eye of the guys. But what, Paul, what Peter is saying here is, to win the soul, that does not work. That will not work. It cannot work because it is against what God's saying. And while I'm on that subject, young people, remember this. Remember this, that don't get caught up in winning a husband or a wife with outward appearances. And don't definitely don't get caught up in choosing based on that. I know you're thinking, I would never do that. But the truth is, you still will. You'll, you'll still, it'll still be there. I know, what it, I know what it's like. And that's going to fade. It's going to fade. He says, verse 4, Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. This is a major contrast that Peter's casting here. The time and attitude of Rome was all about, and it was even more than just, uh, I'm going to put all this gold on to be flashy and catch your eye. It established who you were in the culture. It established your status. If you had the big hair all 
with the gold weaved into it and all that stuff, you were somebody really important. And it was based on money and and position and all those things. And Peter here is saying, let it be the hidden person of the heart. Here, Peter is showing us that your position in society, that the amount of money that you have, that your status means nothing in the body of Christ. You remember from the book of Acts, they they started trying to level out those status because we don't understand it as much in our culture because we have a middle class. There was no middle class in those days. You were either extremely on top, wealthy, or you were pretty much on the, you were poor. I mean, there wasn't any of this. And so what the body of Christ started doing, the church, was to bring these people together. And it was a hard thing to do. There was such a separation between the, the clout. And, and so Christ brings us together. That's an incredible bond that happens. And Peter here is reinforcing that, saying it is not about the outward appearance. But it's the incorruptible beauty. The outward appearance is fading away. It's, it's, it fades away rather quickly. It is indeed corruptible. It's only for a little while. But the beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit is incorruptible. It will not fade. It will not fade over time because it has been born of the Holy Spirit. And this is precious in God's eyes. And this will get the attention of your husband. This will get the attention of an unbeliever. This will get the attention of a believer. Young people, this is what to search for in a young lady, young men. Young ladies, this is what to search for in a young man. A gentleness, a blessed spirit, a quietness. That's hard to find. You hear, you see all kinds of, I, I hate to go off on, on teenagers, but I spend a lot of time with them. So I know them pretty well. And, and there's always this thing about whatever the new fad is. Right now, tattoos are very popular. For a while, it was like black hair and black fingernails. And there's always these things that are going on. And they say they want to be different. I'm doing that to be different. I want to, I want to be my own person. It's always funny. You're being your own person just like everybody else, but... Whatever, your individuality, you want to be different? Have a gentle heart. Have a quiet spirit. Focus, take your focus away from yourself and put it towards others. Help others. Take your focus away from yourself and put it towards God. You want to be different? Be pure. Be sexually pure. That would be different. That would be unique. And that's what he's saying here. We're looking towards the inner things, the things that will last, not the things that are going to fall apart, not the things that are going to go south in five years, ten years. Have you ever known women like this? Most of us probably have. Godly women. When you see these women, their gentleness blesses their whole household, doesn't it? This is not a belittling of women. Submit to your husbands is not something that makes you weak. It makes you strong, and it makes your family strong. And it makes your children strong. It makes them follow in the way of Christ. 
You watch this. They, atten- they attained supreme authority over all simply by yielding. That's what happens in this situation. They gain a queenly position in the house by gentleness and quietness. That's what happens. In the contrast, you see the women who are forceful and loud and trying to take a place that they don't, that is not theirs by God's standards. And that you find, you show me that woman, and I'll show you a household that's in disarray. Every time, every time they may not know it, but it is. You look from it from the outside, and you'll see it. And you'll see children who are rebelling when they get older and you'll see children who are going against what they've been taught even the gentleness and quietness in verse 5 it says for this manner in former times the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves being submissive to their own husbands As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good, and are not afraid with any terror. The the culture thinks, and and we talked about the stopping of foolish men, to, to silence the ignorance of foolish men, because the foolish men don't understand this. The natural man does not understand this. And a non-believer will hear this message and they'll think that somehow I'm belittling women. And when, we, when they hear the words, wives, submit to your husbands, they think somehow that is belittling to them. But when you read the life of Sarah, do you see some weak, beat-down woman? Absolutely not. She was strong. Uh, she was not afraid to speak. She was a hard-working woman. Uh, the idea that Christianity somehow suppresses women is actually absurd when you read the Bible. It really is. Now, has it been, have, have women been oppressed, suppressed in the name of Christianity? Sadly, yes, in some cases, sure. But biblically, when you read the Bible and you read how Jesus treated women and you read how the patriarchs treated women, and you read how they were treated in the New Testament, there's no suppression, no. And when you look at it historically, it's also absurd. We'll, t- we'll, t- we'll get more to that in a minute. But she obeyed Abraham, and she followed him wherever he went. At the beginning, he was in the land of Chaldee, right? And he uproots his family, And he moves to Canaan because God told him to. And she follows. She submits and she follows. She follows him into Egypt. She followed followed him into the land of the Philistines. She called him Lord as in a respect to her husband. She honored him. And these, if you're a believer, you're her daughters. Just as we're all children of Abraham spiritually, well, Sarah was Abraham's wife, and Isaac was Abraham's son, and the heir, according to the promise, Christ came through Isaac. So we're all heirs. We're your daughters of, of Sarah. And we're sons of Abraham. And we're to use them as an example. And then verse 7, he says, Husbands, likewise, 
dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. And here's where here's where Peter changes his instructions, what he've done what he has done so far. Because up to this point, he has told us how to submit to the authorities, how to submit to government, how to su- submit to the king, uh, governors, any, any level of government authority. We included bosses and parents and everything in there. And then the next one, he, he, he tells us how to, or servants, how to submit to masters. In both of those cases, he doesn't give any instruction on how those authorities are to react. But here... Here he does. Now he's going to talk to the husbands. Now he's going to say, Husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Not above them, not over them, but with them. This is a side-by-side relationship. It always has been from Adam till now. God's design with a man and a woman has been side-by-side. Listen to what Spurgeon said about Christianity and, and how it's what it's done for women. It has been one of the most beautiful results of the spread of the Christian religion that it has uplifted womanhood, so that now, instead of women, women being as they were and still are where the gospel is not received, the slaves of their husbands. Is that not the case? Go over to most of your Islamic nations and see how women are treated. Slaves. They're slaves to their husbands. But Christianity has taught that honor should be given to the wife. If there are any husbands who do not sow, they err from the gospel way. That's what Christianity has done. He says, dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife. What does that mean? You're going to speak well of her at all times. You're not going to get up into these little circles of men who are standing there bashing their wives and you're not going to join into that matter of fact there's a very good chance god's going to put it on your heart to rebuke that or at least get away from it and it happens a lot if you work in the world if you're in the world you see this a lot and women it's the same the women get in circles and they like to bash their husbands christian women please Don't do that. Honor your husband. Honor your wife. Don't partake in this. It's it's garbage. It it really is terrible. And you wonder why the marriage is falling apart. Well, whenever you're away from your, your wife and you're sitting around bashing her, there's a very good chance whenever you get together, it's not going to be good. Does that mean you're going to agree with everything she does? No. Does that mean that there's not problems? Of course not. But it's not your place, and it's not any of those other men's place to hear about it. That's for you two to work at. Honor her. Taking care of her needs. Considering her needs. Cherishing her thoughts, her inputs, ideas, and suggestions. Though he may not always follow them, though you may not always follow them, that's how the headship works. He will always 
consider them. Look at, look at Genesis 21.12. Back to Sarah and Abraham. In 21.12, he says, But God said to Abraham, Do not let it be displeasing in your sight because of the lad, because of your bondwoman. Whatever Sarah has said to you, listen to her voice, for in Isaac your seed shall be called. Sarah was giving Abraham godly instruction. And God said, Listen to her. Men, we are to listen to our wives. There's many times God gives them insight that he hasn't given us. That's why there's two of us. That's why they're our helper. That's why they that's that's the purpose of the marriage is to have insight. That doesn't mean that we're always going to do it though. That's that's where the headship comes in. That's where the pressure's on us. And wives, give your input but give it with honor. Not ultimatum. Right? Not a, you're going to, we're going to do this or, no, this is what I suggest. And, and you follow God. And it's not always going to be the same, but we always consider them. And he says, as to the weaker vessel. Here's another one of those that the world would see as, they would, they would get this twisted and wrong. As in the weaker vessel, like in somehow lower. No, that's not what it's saying. It didn't say lower vessel. Says the weaker vessel. And generally speaking, the strength of the body is going to be that case. Generally speaking, strength, physical strength is weaker in women than men, but not always. Not if the man is paralyzed. You know, there's always going to be exceptions to that, but generally speaking, but also to the tenderness of mind. That's God's design. He's given women a tender mind for a reason. Because that's, that's, their, that's their job. Their job is to nurture. Their job is to cultivate and to, be, and to be tender and to be compassionate. I thank God my wife is more compassionate than me. Because if we, neither one of us, if we both had my compassion, it might not be good sometimes. But he's given, that's the weaker vessel. It, it does not mean spiritually weaker by any means. Matter of fact, I think in a lot of times it may be the other way around. It does not mean weaker in any kind of relationship to Christ. Now we know that from Galatians 3.28. He says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, if you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all equal in the eyes of Christ. So the vessel has equal importance but a different function. And I heard it explained like a vase. If you think about a vase on a mantle, it has a, it has a perfect function. It's beautiful. But if you drop it, it's more fragile. I compared it to the water trough in my pig pen. Water trough is going to have to be stout. It's also going to have to get dirty. It's going to have to get rooted around. Is one more important than the other? No. They both serve a function. And that's what it is with men and women in Christ. We both have a function. And without one, you're incomplete in the household. Without 
both in a church body were incomplete. We need both. And why? We're being heirs together to the grace of life. Being heirs together of the grace of life. Remember, this, this is obviously contrary to the customs of the time in which women were suppressed. Women didn't get to be heirs in this time. They didn't get inheritance. It was all the husband's inheritance. But now Peter's saying, you're heirs together. You don't get your inheritance, and she doesn't. No, you're together. And this is a new concept, basically, in this. And I mean, when Peter's preaching this, we can understand this, I think, in our culture because Christianity has such an influence on American culture that women have been considered more equal, although sometimes in a wrong way. But if you're, if you're standing in ancient Rome, if you're standing in the Middle East right now and you're talking about being heirs together, that's foreign. And you think about that, When you think about your wife as your co-heir to the grace of Christ, will that change the way you treat her? It could. Treat her as an equal. And then when you go back, and our call is always to follow Christ, right? And follow his example. And when you go back and you watch Jesus, when you read through the Gospels and you're reading Jesus' life, did he suppress women? No. Think about the women. He did the exact opposite of what everybody else did. The woman at the well, the one who was there by herself during the day because she couldn't be with the rest of them because she was defiled. What did Jesus do? He met with her right there at the well, and he had compassion on her, and he loved her. Mary Magdalene. I mean, the list goes on. He, he, there was always women, and he always treated them with respect and honor. And love. And that's our call as men for women in general, but it's especially our call to our wives. And he says, the, here's another reason why. So your prayers be not hindered. Your prayers will be hindered if you don't follow this instruction. And as, as Christian men... We have, we have got to watch our balance because we will get focused on building a ministry. We've seen this. Men will get focused on building their ministry or get focused on the so-called work of God. But their prayers are hindered and the work cannot go forth because their relationship with their wife is out of line. It cannot go forth. She, men... Our wife is our first ministry. Her needs to spend time with her husband should be held up extremely high, her needs. Her need of help in her ministry to our children. We forget how great a call that is. And I praise God that my wife she considers that a great honor. And I forget too many times that she needs my help in that. She needs me to lead that. 
She does a great job, but she needs me to be the head of that. And there's so many times we're off doing our other things, our other ministries, and we forget the one that's most important to us that God has given us that's right there in front of us. Her equality in the walk with Christ must be recognized and met before further ministry is possible for the husband. Can you do ministry if your prayers are hindered? If you're praying about something, God help us if we can. If our prayers are being hindered, if I'm preaching up here and my prayers aren't being heard about this, it's not going to work. It's not going to be very good. It's, gonna, it's not going to do you any good. It's not going to do me any good. And Peter says, make sure you get all of this right so your prayers won't be hindered so that everything else will work. It's an order. He's given us an order, and she is our first ministry. How are we doing on this? I know for me, it's, it's not the best. It's, it's not the best. As I'm studying this, I find myself lacking in Peter's instructions. Women, how are you doing? On the submissiveness to your husband. These are things that we, we need to think about. And then, of course, I, I don't want to go through any of this. Like I said, it's not blind submission, and there are exceptions. Women, you, you obviously, I, I would say this is obvious, but it may not always be. Just like with a boss or with a government or with anything else, if it comes to the point where submitting to them would mean sinning against God, then you're not going to do that. And I think those cases are probably rare in a marriage, but I know there's times when that comes up. And you're going to submit to Christ, and if you submit to Christ, you can't submit to sin, no matter what your husband says. And those times, I understand, will be hard. And those times may cause problems um, that are a whole other topic a whole nother thing to learn later but in all other cases submissiveness can lead him to christ and men in all other cases honoring your wife will lead is the way to begin to lead your household in a spiritual way and honoring her is a way to continue any other ministry you have outside the household to make it successful. And the final thing on all of this is when we talked about the wives being able to win their husbands because of this, the men even being able to win their wives because of honoring them. But the other thing is the family in the shambles that it is in our culture, people notice solid families, especially now, especially now. When, when it, it's just because it's so rare. When they see a man showing up at in town and he's helping his wife with the kids and they're all together and they're doing things together and and they're not fighting and yelling and she's honoring him and he's honoring her and the children are honoring their parents. That one's coming next. All of that work is it, and it's all working together. It is a great thing to see. You've seen it. It's awesome. You can see it at, at a restaurant. You'll see a family over there and you'll go, wow, 
that you can just tell there's something. I bet those people are Christians. That's that's what comes to my mind when I see it. When I see a family that it just seems to be fitting together, I think I bet they're Christians. Now I'm a believer, so I would recognize that. But a a non-believer would say something like, "Wow, there's something different about that family." There may be kids seeing your family and going, wow, I wish my family was like that. And if they do, then they're going to be intrigued by why. And they might ask you, how do you do it? How do you do it, husband? How do you hold that together? And what's, what's, what's the answer? Because he lives. Right? My family is this way because he lives. How does your mom and dad get along so good? Because he lives. And that's the goal. It gives honor and glory to Christ. It gives honor and glory to God. It gives honor and glory to his gospel. And it opens up the door for us to preach the gospel in ways that maybe we never have. Because people are actually wanting to hear it. And that's how God's design is working. That's what Peter is teaching us through persecution, through submission. It's all about glorying God. And it's all about pointing people towards Christ. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, so much. I thank you for your gospel. Thank you for that empty tomb which could not hold you. And I thank you for... Bringing, uh, bringing my wife and I together, and I thank you for her. God, and I pray that you would help me to honor her better, to lead our home better. I pray for the men in here that you would do that for each of us. Give us a desire to, to lead. Give us a desire to honor. Give us the, the faithfulness to not join in on bad conversations or corrupt communication when it comes to that and i pray the same for the women god that they would honor their husbands that they would be able to submit in a godly submission god and that our families in this church would be complete that they would be healthy and that they would be going in a direction of christ that they would be going in the direction of the cross and that these children would see their parents relationship And it would lead them to Christ. And that unbelievers everywhere would notice things different about the people in this room. I thank you for this message. I thank you for Peter and and placing it through the Holy Spirit for him to write it. And preserving it for us now. And God, I, I pray you would give us more of a desire, more of a cherishing of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.